So, how are you feeling the day after Christmas? To be honest, it's one of my least favorite days of the year. We've spent all this time and energy leading up to Christmas, and then on December 26, whoosh, it's like it's all gone. No more Christmas music on the radio, no more Christmas specials or Hallmark movies flooding the airways on TV. Decorations start coming down, and people start wrapping up their celebrations. For me, the day after Christmas, I always feel a little sad. Because inevitably, I feel like I've missed it. In the hustle and bustle of the season, after all of the parties and phone calls and meetings and cards and presents, once it's all said and done, it feels like I've missed out on some joy that could have been. And then I'm also aware that many people feel the exact opposite. On the day after Christmas, they take a deep breath and breathe a big sigh of relief and think, I've made it. I've made it through Christmas. So how are you feeling? Content? Sad? Relieved? Confused? Christmas is complicated. It's a season that is conflated with incompatible traditions. The flurry of activities and to-do lists competes with a desire to slow down and snuggle up on the couch with our favorite film. Commercialism competes with a spirit of benevolence and generosity, and joy often competes with grief. Grief especially has a funny way of popping up around Christmas. Whether you're grieving a lost tradition, a lost relationship, or the loss of a loved one, what's supposed to be the happiest time of year becomes a stinging reminder of something that once was and is no more. There's a tension this time of year. I've come to, I can't figure out if I've come to appreciate this tension or if it's something I'm still wrestling with but it's a tension between the joy and merriment we associate with Christmas and the reality that all too often, joy seems just out of our reach. I will say that one of my favorite songs is in fact my favorite because it captures this tension in a way that I think is just beautiful. The song is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. It's a song that is simultaneously full of hope and melancholy. It embraces the tension of the season in a way that I've yet to find in another Christmas song. The history behind this piece makes it all the more interesting. The song was originally written by Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine in 1943 for the musical Meet Me in St. Louis. Now, I wouldn't call the song upbeat to begin with, but the original draft was actually rejected by Judy Garland because it was too depressing. Martin was asked to modify the lyrics, so the familiar line, let your heart be light, next year all our troubles will be out of sight, was originally, um, it may be your last, next year we may all be living in the past. Later, when Frank Sinatra was set to record the song, he asked Martin to jolly up another line, until then we'll have to muddle through somehow, became, hang a shining star upon the highest bough. 
Martin was at first reluctant to change the lyrics, defending the original composition. But after the revision request from Judy Garland, the producers encouraged him to comply, saying, it's a sad scene, but we want sort of an upbeat song, which will make it even sadder if she's smiling through her tears. So what are we trying to do here? Are we embracing the sadness? Are we masking the sadness with jolly, hopeful words? Are we provoking genuine emotion? Whatever their aim, it worked. The song became a hit, and when Garland sings that song in Meet Me in St. Louis, it is full of emotion and tension. The words convey hope and contentment, but the tone and melody embody a somber, reflective reality. Tension. The song eventually became a favorite of troops serving in World War II. Many moved to tears when it was performed by Garland at the Hollywood Canteen. It has since been covered by countless artists and used in numerous Christmas movies, often as a means of punctuating moments of sadness or even violence in the holiday season. And it resonates. It resonates with the reality of the season and has among multiple generations. There are plenty of songs that we can enjoy that remind us of the celebration and hope of Christmas. But Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is special because it portrays the tension that inevitably exists when hope and joy seem just out of reach. There's a tendency, I think, to try and quell negative or sad feelings around the holidays. Just as Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas had to be made less depressing, we can get caught up in the need to force joy on ourselves and on others. That ultimately serves no greater good. And really, if we look closely at Scripture, we see that Christ's story wasn't without tension either. In order to experience the true hope and joy that Christ brings through his presence on earth, it helps to embrace the tension that came with the reality of his coming. Now, we could talk about the tension that existed around Jesus' birth because there was plenty, but in our scripture passage today, we've made a chronological leap from the nativity to the end of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of John. In chapter 14, we find Jesus giving his farewell address to the disciples on the night of the Last Supper. It's an awkward and heart-wrenching moment as the disciples come to terms with the fact that Jesus is going to leave them. On top of that, they can't understand how his death could be anything but tragic proof that he was not actually the Son of God or Messiah. How can Jesus allow this to happen? How can he just abandon them after all they've been through? What are they going to do? Jesus is addressing the disciples in a time of grief, confusion, and despair. He's also grappling with his own feelings, feelings that surely accompanied his impending crucifixion and death. It's a dialogue of tension, tension between the reality of the moment and the good news that Jesus is attempting to convey. In this moment of tension, Jesus offers two key things, comfort and peace. Jesus promises that he will not leave the disciples orphaned. He goes on to explain that another advocate, another companion, the Holy Spirit, will be given to them. 
The Spirit will teach them everything they need to know and remind them of all that Jesus has said and done, because they do need a lot of reminding. This entire dialogue is framed in words of comfort. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. He says this in verse 1 of the chapter and verse 27. At first glance, it might be easy to brush this assurance aside. Don't let our hearts be troubled. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Easier said than done. But I would argue that when Jesus says, don't be afraid, it is much more complex than a typical, don't worry, everything will be fine. The language that Jesus uses here does not diminish the reality and emotions that the disciples are experiencing. When Jesus says, don't be troubled, he has, in fact, already admitted to feeling troubled himself. Speaking of Mary following the death of Lazarus, John eleven thirty three 33 says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. John 12, 27, Jesus says, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? John 13, 21, When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. And now to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. On the surface, it can seem dismissive of their clearly troubled hearts, but because Jesus himself has been vulnerable and experienced the same feelings of despair and disruption, he offers a heartfelt and genuine comfort that he knows that they will have to find in their own time. And it's the Spirit that will be the one to help them find that comfort. The Spirit who will always be there, even when Jesus is gone. Jesus offers comfort, and he offers peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This is another sentiment that can easily be dismissed, especially when peace seems far out of reach. But Jesus explains that he gives peace not as the world gives. So what's different? In this farewell discourse in John's gospel, the language is loaded. John uses all three of the Greek words for love interchangeably to describe the love between God and Jesus, Jesus and the disciples, and thus God and the disciples. In verses 18 through 23, Jesus is doing his best to try and explain to the disciples that they needn't be troubled because God is with them, and God loves them, and God will not leave. There is nothing more powerful than the knowledge that God so loved the world that God sent the only Son, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. God is with us. God will not leave us, no matter what. That is love. That is the biggest love. Jesus reminds them that they will know of this love because they will keep his commandments. Not keep as in obey, but keep as in possess his commandments as a gift. After all, there was only one commandment conveyed in this gospel, which was to love God and love one another as Jesus had loved them. 
Jesus' presence is an embodiment of God's love and a desire to be in relationship with the disciples. Everything they need to experience peace and salvation is already available right now. And even when they need reminding, peace I give to you, peace I leave with you. Jesus is fully aware of the tension and anxiety that the disciples are feeling because he has experienced it himself. And in a moment of despair, Jesus offers comfort and peace in a way that is genuine and pure. Jesus wraps up this dialogue by saying, Get up. Let us be on our way. Once again, his language here conveys more than just a command to rise. The words he chooses are the same he uses after he heals the paraplegic. Get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. It's the language he uses to raise people from the dead. Get up. It's a command that accompanies a promise and a proof of healing. Get up. Jesus offers us comfort. Jesus offers us peace. Peace and comfort rooted in God's presence and love with us. And it's that comfort and peace that compels us to get up. We get up not because it is easy or because our troubles have magically disappeared. We get up because we can be assured that Christ promises comfort, peace, and healing. How we get up will look differently. You might get up and then go back to bed. You might get up and fill your schedule and calendar to the brim. You might get up and celebrate joyfully with loved ones. You might get up and make an appointment with your therapist. You might get up and play. You might get up and grieve. Alone, with your people, solitary or socially, God is there. When we are troubled, when we are coping with anxiety, when we are navigating ourselves through times of grief, we all get up differently, and Christ promises to be there with us. Peace looks different for all of us, and it comes with tension. Tension between the joy and hope that we seek and the lived realities we navigate. And that's okay. Jesus knows what it's like. All of it. The joy and the troubles. We can rest in the peace that he gives knowing our Emmanuel. God is with us always. Amen.